apraxia, and phonology. There's a lot of similarities and differences, and that's what we're talking about today on The Working Therapist. Welcome to The Working Therapist, a podcast designed to help you grow in your therapy practice. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. Now here are your hosts, Hayden Bolick and Kirsty Miles. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of The Working Therapist. Today we are talking about phonology or a severe speech impairment versus apraxia. So how do you know what's a phonology error error or maybe a severe articulation error, and I'm talking about really severe, or if it's apraxia. So a lot of times I'll work with therapists. I work with therapists a lot in my regular job and I'm not doing a podcast. And these are common questions that I get a lot. Or they'll say, hey, can you come and listen to so-and-so? I think that he or she has apraxia. And sometimes they do have apraxia because it takes sometimes a couple sessions to really diagnose a child with apraxia, potentially. You know, sometimes I always encourage people to get to know the child a little bit more, to listen to them several sessions, and to see how they perform in different times and, you know, different ways before we diagnose the child with apraxia. Because this is a clinical diagnosis that we do as a speech therapist will make. As if they have a phonology disorder, if they have a articulation disorder, or if they are apraxic. So sometimes when the speech gets to be so severe, the level of intelligibility is so poor, sometimes it's hard to know which is which, right? So I thought we could just talk about that today. All right. I thought at first we'd talk about some same and differences, like how are phonology and apraxia the same? So this is where the confusion can come in. A child with apraxia is a child who has a motor speech problem. It's really a processing problem because they have the intact oral motor strength and ability to say the various sounds. So there's nothing wrong with their lips, tongue, cheeks, jaw, in terms of the articulators to produce the sound. And they know what they want to say, but somewhere between what they want to say and what they get out of their mouth, there's definitely like a crossing of the wires or a processing problem where they just can't get out what they want to say. That's apraxia, like a motor speech apraxia. It's a motor speech problem. It's not just like weakness. It's so they can't say what they need to say. So sometimes when you see apraxia, would it be fair to say that how they say it one time is different from the next time? It varies? It's not uniform? Very much. It can be very different with the child is tired or not. It can depend on if their attention, it can be kind of all over the map sometimes. So a child with a phonetic or disorder or who have true phonology kinds of problems is where they have patterns in their speech. They produce the same speech sound errors in the same types of way. For example, a child with who has a phonology problem is maybe dropping all of the sounds at the end of their words. So they don't produce any sounds on the end of their words. That's like a final sound deletion. That's a very common phonologic problem. Or they'll do fronting, which means they produce front sounds, a T and D, for all sounds. You know, So instead of producing a K and G, so instead of saying cookie, they say tutti. So they produce a T or D for a K or G. That's fronting, meaning they have a, they produce front sounds, the sounds you produce in front of your mouth for back sounds, K and G. They can also do backing, which means they do a K and G for a T and D. So phonology is more of like a speech patterns where they s- develop these ways of speaking, but it's a pattern. That's more phonology. So that's really more the definition of the two and that kind of a definition with examples. So apraxia is a motor speech problem, but it's more of a processing problem. Phonology in some conceivable way be processing, but it's more where the components of the language or the components of the spoken language are patterned and that they do the same type of errors in all situations. Apraxia, not so much. 
like you said before, it could be different all the time. So let's talk about though, how they're the same and how they could really be confused. So if you're like not producing the ends of all your words and you're producing a T or D sound for all your K and G sounds, it doesn't take much before you're really not understood by anybody. Or they can also do what's called assimilation where they basically, if the sound's the beginning of the word or the middle of the word, they produce that sound for the whole word. You know, so if they're saying butterfly, they can be ba ba ba. And you're like, well, what the heck is that? Well, you put bubba ba if you got no context of what the child is saying, and you say bubba ba in a sentence where you're doing the same type of pattern, well, pretty much then you're not going to understand anything that a child says at all, right? So apraxia and phonology, a child can be very unintelligible in both, meaning you can't understand hardly anything the child's saying. So the level of intelligibility can be very, very low. You can understand like less than half or less sometimes than 25%. I mean, sometimes for a child who's dropping the ends off their words and they're fronting sounds for everything and they have assimilation, give it up. For a child who's dropping the ends off their words and they're fronting sounds for everything and they have assimilation, give it up. They're going to be pantomiming and everything else. And a child with apraxia will be doing the same thing. So a lot of times children who have a phonetic problem and an apraxic problem, and they're apraxic as well, they pantomime. So they may use a lot of gestures, the facial expressions, they're pointing at stuff. They're just trying to do anything to get you to understand. And acting out and standing on their head and turning purple or whatever it is to get you to understand what they're saying. So they'll do both of those things. Another thing they'll do is when you test them for language skills, for expressive and receptive language skills, they come out very low expressively, meaning how they get their ideas and words across. So their expressive skills are low, but their receptive skills are super high because they're understanding everything you're saying to them. There's no problem with their comprehension. There's no problem with understanding, but how they get the sentence out is very compromised because they aren't understood by others. So they haven't been that motivated to get a whole sentence out. Usually kids with more phonetic errors, sometimes their sentences tend to be longer than a child with apraxia though, because they can say more sounds, but we'll get into the differences in just a second. But anyway, but a lot of times they're Receptive skills are high, expressive skills are low. So that's another way they're very similar. They're also, their play skills are normal. Again, there's nothing wrong with these children's comprehension. Their receptive skills are fine. So socially and play skills, they tend to look very, very similar. So that's another reason why they can be the same and it can be very confusing as to what are you dealing with here. They have a lot of speech sound distortions. Both of them do. A lot of speech sound distortions. So it's hard to sometimes figure out, well, what the heck are you dealing with? A child with phonetic disorder and issue can be confused with a child with apraxia. Do you see a certain age where you start to differentiate more between the two? Because I have seen children come in where maybe seen by a previous provider and they might be a two or three year old and they're already diagnosing apraxia. Yeah. A lot of times I can usually figure out if a child is apraxic. I can usually figure out about two because at two, think about an average two year old. They should have a spoken vocabulary of more than a hundred words and they should also start combining two words together to make a two word phrase, right? So like me go, mommy go, my shoe, my baby, my dog, dog go, those are all common two-year-old sentences, right? Like noun, verb, verb, noun, that kind of thing. They might have an adjective or descriptive in there, maybe, but, you know, not so much. Just noun, verb. So you can start to see that with a two-year-old. And so a two-year-old should be doing that. So if they're not doing that, then I have to start figuring out why not, which is where I go into, okay, so is it a language problem? But if their receptive skills are pretty good, are really good, and their play skills are good, because receptive and play should be kind of on the same wavelength there, and their social skills are good, then why aren't they getting the words out? 
You know, that's what it goes down to. So if you understand what's being said and you understand like concepts, you're learning new concepts, your play skills are really good, they're intact, your social skills are good, all of that's advancing normally, then why can't you talk? And if there's no major anatomical reason why you can't talk, then you got to figure out, okay, so are we dealing with an apraxia situation or a phrenology thing or some other kind of issue? What could be the problem? But there aren't that many choices, mm-hmm. especially if the anatomy is all like normal and there's no other underlying diagnosis. I'm talking like no other diagnosis. So how do you know what's the difference? How do you know why they can't talk? Well, Okay, so you got to start figuring out why not. So here's how a phonology, a child who's demonstrating phonetic issues or phonology problems versus apraxia, this is where they're different. So a child with apraxia is going to do some of this stuff. One, they're going to have a lot of vowel distortions, and they're not going to have that many vowels. So the vowels they have are going to be pretty limited, and they're going to use them over and over and over again. And they're not that many. Also, the sounds that they're producing, they don't have many sounds in their repertoire. Now, we talked before about how sometimes they talk differently at different days and they sound different. So they're going to only have limited sounds, but sometimes even in those limited sounds for consonants and vowels, some days they may be combining those together better. Other days they may not be. So one day they might be like doing a lot of like trying to get out a lot of sounds. They may have more vowels. Other days they may have less. So if they're really tired, if they're sleepy, you know, if they're hungry, if they're just not feeling it that day and they're like, I'm tired of you and whatever you got going on over here, they're just not doing it, then they're just not going to come out with that much stuff, you know? Other days, they just may have to be an on day, they may do more, but they're still going to only have limited vowels and limited consonants. They're not going to have a ton of different things that they can say. So that's one of the hallmarks of children with apraxia. They'll say the same thing over and over again. They'll use a lot of the same sounds. So they'll kind of do like, for example, like when you hear them talking, they may do like a lot of, but, 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 like for everything. Well, I only use one vowel. I use two different consonants. And that was it. And also children with apraxia, here's the main thing. They cannot imitate. So you can say to them, say hi, say hi, say hi, all you want to. If they can't say hi, they're not going to say hi. They can't imitate. Even if they can say hi, they can't really imitate. So they're not going to imitate. So direct, say hi, say bye, you know, say please, say more, say cookie, say go, say car, say whatever. They're not going to say any of it because they can't directly imitate. That's the main thing. So if you're working in therapy with a child and you're like, tell me, say up, say up, say up. And the child's never doing it. They're just grab the block out of your hand. And you're like, okay, it's not because they're non-compliant. They're just not doing it. I mean, that sounds funny. Okay. They're not compliant. They're just not doing it. That's the same thing, but it's not because they're not willing to, or wanting to participate or not really wanting to do that. It's not because they're refusing to do it. It's just, there's a fine line between refusing to do it and they can't do it. So you really have to watch them and you have to try different scenarios and you have to think, why aren't they saying it? Like, you know, why aren't they? So that's something you have to try to figure out as well. They don't imitate. They can't imitate. And a lot of times children with speech apraxia, mm-hmm. motor speech apraxia, you see it carry over into gross motor skills and fine motor skills. Yeah. So they don't always pick up the pen the same way. Maybe they don't always do it with the same hand. They haven't developed a dominance yet. They don't always pull the chair out and sit in it the same way. Sometimes it looks like they're climbing into the chair or Sometimes they'll pull it out and sit down, but it's just not consistent. Right. They sometimes, maybe they don't look clumsy, but they just don't seem like their movement patterns. Uncoordinated. Right. They just don't seem quite as coordinated. They could be, end up being very athletic, but they just don't seem coordinated because there's sometimes difference in athleticism and coordination. Like sometimes they could be athletic and play sports and all that, but just seem as they move around uncoordinated. Yeah, I don't know if there's ever well, a difference. I think it depends on the sport too. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can 
swimming is very repetitive with the strokes, running very repetitive. So if you take something that they do over and over again, those are both right brain, left brain activities. So you're using both together. So those are good recommendations for children with the diagnosis of apraxia to do, they might get really frustrated with ball skills. For speech motor apraxia, they may demonstrate mostly speech type of apraxia and speech issues, but the rest of the motor system could be affected in a mild way or a moderate way, or maybe none at all, but sometimes usually always a little bit of mild of something, maybe, maybe if you look really carefully and you get really, really specific about some of the motor patterns, you know, but then sometimes kids with apraxia, they'll do this weird thing where they will like, I'll ask the parents, I'll say, well, can he ever say any words? Like name me some words that he or she'll say, well, I mean, last week they said watermelon, clear as a bell. You know, they just came out and said watermelon or they'll say screwdriver. And they'll clear as a bell. So periodically they'll say just these big long words, clear as a bell, never say it again. Not because I said, say watermelon, say watermelon. Not because of that. They just sort of came out with watermelon or screwdriver or backhoe or some like complicated word that you're like, whoa, where did that come from? But they'll just come out with that, but then they won't hear it again. Mm -hmm. The family won't hear it again. So, and they can name you several words because this child, remember, isn't talking consistently or not in words that people can understand. And so they remember those words, but also the child with apraxia now, he pantomimes or she pantomimes like crazy because that's how they get their points across, right? But also the child with apraxia, there's a lot of oral motor groping, and specifically kind of groping types of things. And we're going to talk about in a second how it's different with a child who has phonetic issues. There can be weakness. There can be coordination problems. And you would think that would be sort of inherent to groping, but it's just more groping. Like they can't really pucker or spread their lips or open their mouth. They could do some of that, but it's just more groping of how to really get that specific movement. And a lot of those movements for oral motor movements are not that specific. So that's are some of the hallmark signs of apraxia and they're different than a child with phonetic problems. So children with phonology, they can imitate. That's number one. So these children can imitate. They're just going to imitate it in the way that they do it. So if you said, say, go, and they're fronting, they're going to say do, you know, if you can say, say car, they're going to try to imitate car. But if they're fronting, they're going to say da. And if they leave the end sound off the end of the word, they're going to say da. They're going to also have a wide variety of vowels because usually kids with phonetic issues do have a variety of vowels and they have all their vowels. So they've got A-E-I-O-U. They can do a diphthong, I, owl. They can do their diphthong sounds. Kids with apraxia, that's super like, you just ask them to climb Mount Everest and back down. And they're like, what lady? Don't even. I love working with kids with apraxia. But anyway, they're like, just please don't even stop with your joking diphthongs. Kids with phonetic problems, they can do those. So they have a wide variety of vowels and they have a decent repertoire of consonant sounds that they can do to combine with vowels, but they just have similar phonetic disorders or way that they say their sounds, you know, so they either do those patterns of fronting, backing, assimilation, final consonant deletion. There's tons and tons of different phonology issues and phonetic problems that you see with kids. But anyway, so instead of going into all those details, but you see those patterns happen over and over again. And when you test them, they can imitate the sounds, they can repeat what you're saying, but you're going to see the patterns and the way they say the sounds over and over and over again. So you're going to see that. You're also going to see where they don't really have any groping oral motor wise. Now they have may have reduced movement and coordination, but that's because they haven't been using all their speech sounds that they're supposed to for their age. So it's just like another muscle. If you don't do it, you're not going to develop that muscle. Well, the tongue is just a muscle. So if you're never backing anything, then moving the back of your tongue up, 
you know, it's going to be weaker. You're not going to be able to do that as good. It's just a very precise, specific movement. And who's looking at people's back of people's tongues? Like nobody, but a speech therapist, maybe if you can see it. Anyway, so so just to review, they'll have a broader sound repertoire. They're going to be able to combine vowels and consonants. They're going to have a variety of vowels, and they can imitate. They can imitate. So if you say up, say up. If they're new and final consonant deletion, they may go uh uh uh. But they're saying it as far as they're concerned, you know, and they may have some oral motor weakness, but not groping. It's very different. looks very different. And usually kids with phonetic problems, you can usually start to pinpoint a reason why they have it. Now, some kids you can, some kids you can't. But a lot of times kids who have the phonology stuff, then usually they have a history of ear infections. But you can usually start to trace it back to, oh, well, they had a period of time where they could not hear because that's usually a common problem of kids who have phonetic issues. Not always, not always, but sometimes. Or allergies or maybe just times when their ears were clogged and they couldn't hear. I don't know. Or sometimes some kids just do that. But anyway, but so there's usually some of that. So usually you can figure out a reason for it. A child with apraxia, they may have had ear infections or that kind of thing too, but usually that's not usually in the, the history report. So that's some of the common differences, how they're the same and how they're different. So that's kind of, I want to wrap it up there. And I could talk about apraxia and speech motor disorders and stuff like that all day, but instead I'll just stop and wrap it up there. From a PT perspective, there's not as much apraxia or phonology stuff that you really... I think it's important to say if a speech therapist knows that a child has motor apraxia, yeah. I would just be wary and refer to PT, possibly OT, just to make sure you're covering and treating yeah. the whole child. Because if they have motor apraxia of speech, the likelihood that it carries over into other areas is pretty high. And remember, these kids are crazy smart. But a lot of times there's children with apraxia specifically, and we're talking about that because of the PT component that Kirsty that you're talking about. These kids are very bright. There is nothing wrong with their cognition or receptive language or any of that. And so they can usually figure out a lot of stuff too, you know? So they can sometimes mask some of those motor things, especially if it's kind of mild, but you're right. Definitely an OT or PT should just take a look. The worst thing that happens is they do an eval and the PT or the OT say, yeah, no, they're good. Yeah. The worst thing that happens, but it is to cover all your bases because you're dealing with a bigger issue than a phonology problem. Usually conductive hearing loss is related to ear infections and need for tubes, you know, or enlarged adenoids and tonsils. Anyway, so that's where this phonology stuff is coming from, but not so much apraxia. So check out other podcasts on our website at The Working Therapist. Also, you can get there from pediatricdt.com or just The Working Therapist podcast. I have one specifically where I talk about apraxia of speech and go into a lot of detail regarding just apraxia. So check that out if you love apraxia as much as I do, or even if you don't, check it out. But we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. For more information or to contact us, visit us online at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.